those of us who live in the South think we have a need. And that need is for air conditioning. I'm old enough to remember days when we did not have air conditioning. We didn't have them in our house. We didn't have them in the car. Uh, Occasionally we had them in the big grocery stores, but we just didn't have air conditioning. And I remember when we first got air conditioning, man, I did not know what I was missing. But the question comes, is that what we really need? Hasn't humanity lived without air conditioning for thousands of years? And somehow, today, in Charleston, South Carolina, we believe we need air conditioning. What do we really need? My name is Trey Rhodes, and I'm the Connections Pastor here at Northwood Baptist Church in North Charleston, South Carolina. And it's great to have you along as we uh, are continuing to go through the book of Luke, the Gospel of Luke. And we are hearing from him about what Jesus did to touch and to reach into lives and to challenge us to be that same person as he says to follow me. Uh, So we're going to be doing that today. If you are a Life Connection Group leader, welcome. Care Group leader, welcome. Uh, If you are an assistant or maybe even a fill-in, we love having you. And by the way, you can pass this on to anyone you'd like if you want them to have more information about what we're doing. In addition, if you want to hear what the sermon was preached that uh, this was about, that we're going to be talking about today, then you can go to YouTube, search Northwood Baptist Church, and look up the sermon for February the 19th, and you can hear this message beforehand. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to do a brief description of it so you can come back and, and use that to help you understand where we're going. And we do a brief description or a brief summary, maybe is a better word, of the sermon so that there might be people that weren't there last week or didn't get the chance to listen to the message. Or to tell you the truth, uh, a lot of people put it, kind of put it out of their mind during the week. So this kind of gets them back into the mode of helping them understand what the sermon was about. So take about 10 minutes or so to go through the sermon, and I'm going to try to help you do that. Then we'll get into the questions. And by the way, if you're listening from around the world, Uh, around the country or around our state and you'd like to use these in your family and your small group uh, feel free to contact me trey t-r-e-y at northwoodbaptist.com and we will have somebody uh, actually i will actually tag you and we will get you these notes every single week so that as you listen to our audio study guide of the pastor sermon series you can have the paperwork in front of you as well a lot of people want happiness and they, they, they do whatever they think they need to do for that to happen, whether it be happiness or contentment or joy. They want all those things. And the world actually thinks they know what you need. They think you need excitement and money and sex and power and, you know, the whole big thing about follow your heart. And you have an opinion on what you need to find happiness. Maybe you say, you know, if, if my family would just get along or if I could just get out of debt or if I could have a whole week solid of vacation. Uh, once or twice a year, that would be really good. Um, but do you really know what you need in this life? Because what you think will always be what you pursue the most. So what are you pursuing will tell you what you think you need. So what we as Christians need to be looking towards is pursue, pursuing that relationship with Jesus Christ. Uh, there's two shocking stories that we're going to read about today, and we're going to find out the two gifts that we need, the two gifts of Jesus that he knows you need, 
two gifts that you need to embrace us uh, this, this day. And that is number one, Jesus knows you need real forgiveness. So Jesus returns to Capernaum, maybe Peter's house. There's a crowd gathered. It's about 75 people shoulder to shoulder listening. They're looking out the window. They're blocking the door. There's there's really no way in. No more people can get in there. But you get the other side of this, you have a paralyzed man and Jesus' only hope. So four friends bring him to the home. Uh, Who knows how long they've come. We don't know if they're from Capernaum or where they're from. But anyway, they love their friend. They wanted him to be healed. So... I can imagine when they get there, they're discouraged. They can't get in. And they turn around and go home? What if Jesus leaves town? What if, what if this is the only opportunity? So they climb to the roof, and most houses had these staircases on the outside led to a roof made of branches and sod, and making an opening would not have been difficult. Imagine the scene. You're a scribe sitting on the front row, and a little dirt falls on you. You look up, and all of a sudden, there's a hole in the roof. Jesus stands there and smiles, and he sees their faith, doesn't he? In verse 5. So there's great hope in this paralyzed man. He sees Jesus. Now, I'm, I'm sure he's imagining, you know, if I could only walk again. Now, if you look over the crowd and people in your own Life Connection group, you might say, you know, uh, these people can um, walk and they still got issues. So is walking going to solve all his problems? Well, he seems to think it is. But Jesus understands what he's really going through. He is not just needing to be healed. He is needing to be spiritually healed. And yeah, getting what you want might improve your circumstance, but getting what you want doesn't guarantee a better life. So Jesus utters words that shocks everyone. He says, son, your sins are forgiven. Now, I'm sure you could have heard her pin drop. That was a shocking statement. And his friends are disappointed. They go, what? The hope of the paralyzed man fades away, and, and then the scribes turn on Jesus, and they start to yell blasphemy. Why is that? Well, in the mind of the scribes, Jesus had no authority to forgive. Only God does, which actually, when they said only God has forgiven uh, the ability to forgive sin, I thought to myself, yeah, don't you get it? This is God. But anyway, uh, so the idea is your sins are forgiven implies that this man had, that, that man had sinned against Jesus for Jesus to say your sins are forgiven. Jesus was not doing that as, a, as an individual because he had hurt that man, but Jesus was forgiving him because he was claiming to be God to forgive him of all of sin. Now, uh, they knew that there was this ritual that you had to go through, and you know, they go to the temple, they had to offer a sacrifice and all those things, but God is not at the physical temple. Where is the temple anymore? God is there. His name is Jesus. The temple is standing before the paralyzed man. And the God-man would go to the cross as a sacrifice for this man was there. So the paralytics need wasn't physical, but it was spiritual. And your greatest need isn't physical, but spiritual. People in your life connection group, they might think all those things we talked about at the beginning, whether they get more money, a better job, or whatever, better family relationships. We think our biggest problems are outside of us. Uh, You know, we think, well, someone has hurt us really bad, or maybe we have poor health. Or maybe we have lack of resources or maybe a lack of support we get from anybody backing us up, family or friends. And then these problems pale in comparison to this this monster that is lurking inside of you, this sin that is inside of you. And the problem inside of you can send you to the worst thing possible. Eternal death. So we think our biggest needs are all these things, right? Happy family, big house, big car, nice car. Uh, Have a college degree, bigger retirement. 
you know, these days, as past Tommy said, cheap eggs. But anyway, the biggest need is not for your desires to be met. It really is. The biggest need is for the forgiveness of sins that we find in Jesus Christ. So, the bottom line is, is that changing our life circumstances doesn't change our eternal destiny. So why do I need forgiveness? The Bible, story of the Bible is this. We can't get it right. You think you can get it right, but it's always short-lived to be able to understand what the Word of God is saying and to, and to be the people that God wants us to be. We have to deal with this thing called sin. Sin is that total assault on God's character that says, I know you created me. I know you know what's best for me, but my way is better than yours, and I defy you. You know, there's probably people in your Life Connection group that feel that way today. They're going to do it their own way. They're going to be their own person. They're going to do their own thing. So real love sees real need, but do you see your need? Jesus sees your need. Are you seeing it? He was crucified so that through his death, what's killing you might be destroyed. So we can have three responses to this message of forgiveness. We can be angry, like the scribes were angry at Jesus claiming that he could forgive sins and kind of making it so that, you know, well, he has no right to do that. Maybe we think that uh, in our own self-righteousness or our own, own self-sufficiency, you know, who is Jesus to tell me that I need my sins forgiven? I can take care of that myself. Maybe it's ambivalence. You know, the crowd is always present, but they're never changed. Uh, they, went, they went and they gathered to see Jesus, but the experience they did not, that they had it was not, did not deeply affect them. Or maybe it's amazement. Imagine the amazement of the paralytic when Jesus told him to get up. Imagine amazement when it registered in his mind that not only was he going to be physically whole, but he was going to be spiritually whole. He said, your sins are forgiven. Then he said, rise, take up your bed and walk. Imagine the amazement of these friends that brought him there to the hole to drop him in the house. And others began to realize that they were in the presence of God. Jesus wants them to be amazed at what an incredible, loving, caring, merciful, grace-filled God we serve. So what is, your, what is your response? What is the response of your Life Connection group? Is it going to be humble acceptance? Is it going to be worship of Him? Is it going to be to forgive others when they have wronged you? All right. So the first uh, thing that we need, the first gift, excuse me, that we need is that we need real forgiveness. But Jesus doesn't stop there. The second gift that we need is Jesus knows that you need a real friend. So yes, he's going to forgive you, but he's going to do more than that. We have this first story. It was shocking. And when you think about what's about to happen with Levi, this could even be more shocking. Uh, I would not say that Levi is a candidate for discipleship. Here he is. He's, he's hated. He's, he's seen as somebody that uh, goes in and takes uh, authority for Rome as a Jew, taking authority for Rome, taking the people's money, taking money for the oppressors and then putting money in his pocket. And if you can imagine Russia, Russia one day evading America and everywhere you look, they're Russian soldiers and they're asserting their authority. And then one day your neighbor comes up to you and says, you know, I'm, gonna, I'm, I'm working for Russia and uh, they pay pretty well. You know, you would probably not have any use for him if not hate him. So Jesus sees Matthew, he goes, or Levi, he goes to him, he makes a bold move and he calls him out of the booth and he does it in broad daylight. He calls him to follow him. Now, Levi has probably heard about Jesus, but he knows his lot in life. Why would the most famous man in Galilee choose to associate with Levi? You know, everyone's shocked. No Jew associates with a traitor like that. So after leaving everything to follow Jesus, Levi invites his friend to meet Jesus. 
He's so excited about his new friend and what Jesus has done for him. He wants his other tax collector friends to experience Jesus. So Jesus is going to go be not only with Levi, Matthew, Levi, but he's going to go to Levi's home where all these, all these traitor tax collectors are going to be. Um, and by the way, that was a big deal. That was an intimate expression of friendship when you went to somebody's house and you ate dinner with them. You reclined at table, as the old King James used to say. It was, it was a very intimate relationship that you had with somebody, a good friend, a very close friend. So Jesus goes and he eats with sinners, people who don't obey the Mosaic law. That's what we were talking about when we talk about sinners. Uh, they don't live according to God's standards. They don't live out the religion of the Pharisees. They didn't wear all the white like the Pharisees did. But my friend Jesus has always been a friend of sinners, hadn't he? That's who our Jesus is. So the Pharisees are absolutely infuriated. They're jealous. The most famous man in Galilee should be eating with them. So Jesus now is embarrassing them and points out flaws. So when they did that, it, it was this shocking statement that Jesus came for the self-righteous. Or, yeah, Jesus came not, excuse me, for the self-righteous, but those who were aware of their real needs. So we need to be the same way. We need to be aware of thinking that you're someone you're not. Uh, if you're a good person who has his act together, Jesus isn't for you. He's not for cultural Christians who think that faith is some living some moral life and living a half-hearted commitment to the church, but never really saying, Lord, I need your grace. Beware of shaming people who are in the same condition you're in. We're all sinners saved by grace, right? Two beautiful truths that we can have about the friendship of Jesus. Jesus was willing to be humiliated for you. That's what a friend does. Jesus doesn't come, didn't come to win the approval of man. He came to love and save mankind. Jesus is that true friend, and you've been called to imitate his friendship. Jesus was also willing to commit to you. What I love about Levi's story is that Jesus doesn't simply have dinner with Levi and let him go back to his tax collector friends. Jesus commits to Levi. Levi is Matthew, one of the 12, the gospel writer. And Jesus committed to Levi's complete transformation. And we see results of that every time we read the book of Matthew. Jesus has committed to you as well. That he who began a good work in you, according to Philippians 1.6, will bring it to completion on the day of Jesus Christ. And by the way, there's another banquet coming. Jesus is going to feast again with invited guests. People like Levi, sinners. People like you and me. People who have seen that our greatest need wasn't physical but spiritual. And we're going to sit around that table with Jesus. And we will all have one thing in common, grace. Not one of us will be uh, deserved to sit at that table, but we will be there. Because like Levi, Jesus came calling. He invited us to follow him, and we responded in faith. Question is, will you be at that banqueting table? Will the people in your life connection group be at that banqueting table? And the second question is just as important. Who is your Levi? Who are you going to humiliate yourself for? Who are you going to commit to? All right, let's get into the questions. Again, we're in Luke 5, 17 to 32. Jesus knows what you need. And uh, the honesty time, uh, you can go through several of these. You might want to use number one, what does this world tell us we need most? Uh, there's going to be plenty of opinions on that. So every time you cut on a commercial or a TV show or watch a movie or hear the radio, they're going to all tell you what you need the most. Uh, right now, it seems to be that Navaj thing. <laughs> we need it like, you know, like brushing our teeth. But anyway, whatever it is, we, why are we quick to believe that the world tells us what we need? That, those, that's a good start-off question. It kind of gets you focused on what the needs are. All righty. Now, we're going to examine the text, and let me remind you, uh, what we're doing here is we're doing the OIA where we observe, and then we're going to 
We're going to interpret, and then we are going to apply the Word of God. All right? So uh, let's examine the text. This is, the, this is looking at the text, trying to figure out what it was like for them, what they were struggling with, what they were going through, what they experienced. So uh, we start off with this question, and this is going to be more of a question for your class, so I'm not going to go over it, but what have you learned about Jesus thus far in the Gospel of Luke? So let them fill, fill in the blanks a little bit. Maybe some have left their notes in their Bibles, or maybe taken notes in their Bibles, or maybe some just remember. But anyway, let them fill that in a little bit. Uh, talk about themes repeated in the first chapters of the Gospel of Luke. All right, number two. So far in Luke's Gospel, we haven't seen much opposition to Jesus' ministry from the religious establishment. But now, Luke is going to give us a series of stories where they're confronted by the religious leaders. Why is Jesus such a threat to the religious leaders? Um, well, I think it's kind of obvious, isn't it? He's about to change their whole way of doing things. He's going to tell them things like that he can forgive sin. He doesn't, doesn't need to have the temple to forgive sin. doesn't need to have Pharisees. The whole system is going to be turned upside down, right? All right, uh, so that's why he's a threat. Uh, read Luke 5, 17 through 19, so let's get to that. On uh, one of those days while he was teaching, Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea. And from Jerusalem, and the Lord's power to heal was in him. Just then, some men came on, carrying a stretcher, uh, carrying on a stretcher a man who was paralyzed. And they tried to bring him in and set him down before him. Since they could not find a way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and lowered him on the stretcher through the roof tiles in the middle of the crowd before Jesus. All right, how would you describe the friends of the paralyzed man? Well, they were committed, they loved that man to go through all that humiliation and embarrassment. To be looked at like, who do you think you are for the sake of their friend? All those things. Now, uh, what can these friends teach us about compassion and faith? Well, you know, we can also be willing to be humiliated for our friends, right? It's so important that we realize that greater love has no man, that, uh, has no man than he lay down his life for his friends. All right. Uh, number, read Luke 5, verse 20. Seeing their faith, Jesus said, Friend, your sins are forgiven. And Jesus looks at the paralyzed man and says, Your sins are forgiven. What does it mean to be forgiven by God? That means that all your sins, past, present, and future, God has said, I will not hold them to your account. Doesn't mean we never sinned. It'll be just as if we'd never sinned. That's the idea. We haven't seen Jesus respond to other sick people in this way in Luke's gospel. So why does Jesus make this statement to this man? I think because he wanted him to know that his greatest need was not walking. So he wanted to say, hey, I'm going to meet your need, but your greatest need is first your sin. And I don't know if he would have understood that. And the man could have been saying, as we said earlier, if I could only walk again, I, I think that I could be so much better, or whatever it was. But Jesus says your sins are forgiven. So he doesn't understand that Jesus is about to do, Jesus did something far better than giving him ability to walk. Like we said, all of us can walk. Most of us can. I, I kind of limp around, but most of us can walk pretty good. And so he says that's what's going to happen. Your sins are forgiven. And so that you believe, um, rise, take up your bed, and walk. All right. Verse 21. Then the scribes and the Pharisees began to think themselves, Who is this man who, who speaks blasphemies? 
who can forgive sins but God alone? And they, as I said when I was going through the message, they really did, in a backdoor sort of way, did get it because God did forgive sin. His name is Jesus. So this is the response. Why are they so upset with Jesus? Well, because they thought that he, they, they were bypassing the entire religious system. He was bypassing the entire religious system. He was taking the place of what they thought was their job. Their job was to offer the sacrifice and offer forgiveness from God, right? So they're upset with him because he's changing everything. He's God, and he has the right to do that. So Jesus' response, what does he say? Friend, your sins are forgiven. And then by, uh, but by perceiving their thoughts, Jesus replied, why are you thinking this in your hearts? Which is easier to say your sins are forgiven or rise, take up your bed or say, get up and walk. But so that you may know the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he told the paralyzed man, get up, take up your stretcher, and go home. So he said, paralyzed man, walk. And he did. He took up his stretcher and he walked. So that's why he did it. Um, why does Jesus ultimately heal the paralyzed man? So that he could prove that he had forgiven him, right? So what is Jesus trying to show us in this miracle? That our real need is forgiveness of sin. That's what changes our lives. It's not walking or not walking. All right, Luke 5, 27. Let's jump down a couple of verses here. After this, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector named Levi. Now we're getting into the story of Levi. And uh, sitting in the tax office, he said to him, follow me. All right, so why were tax collectors so despised? We talked about that they were seen as traitors. They were taking money from the people of God, that uh, these conquerors had come and uh, taken over their country, and now here's one of their own who is taking their money and being the authority for these, for these uh, oppressors. Uh, they hated him. So why is it so significant that Jesus would call Levi to follow him? Well, if Jesus could heal this traitor, who could he heal? He could heal just about anybody. Am I right? That's what he does. Um, number seven, Luke 5, 29 to 32. Why do the Pharisees object to Jesus being in the house of Levi? Let's read verses uh, 29 to 32. It tells us that uh, Levi hosted a grand banquet. There was a large crowd of tax collectors and others, so it wasn't enough to have one trader. Now we got a whole house full of them. And others who were reclining at the table, by the way, I added that. That was in, uh, adding about verse 29. And it says, they were all reclining at the table with them. But the Pharisees and the scribes were complaining to the disciples. Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus replied to them, it is not those who are healthy who need a doctor, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. So the Pharisees don't want Jesus to, having, to have this intimate fellowship with sinners. These people who were not going to the temple and getting cleansed. These people who were pretty much living in their sin. These people who uh, were not, you know, patted on the back by the Pharisees and the religious, uh, the religious uh, powers of the day. So here, the, here he is in this house with all these traitors. Uh, a man of God, they would say, would never go there. So how is Jesus' response to the Pharisees so convicting and so revealing as to why Jesus came? Because what does he say? I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. It's not about the people that think they get it all together. It's about the people that are struggling that Jesus is after. 
All right, let's apply the truth. All right. Uh, so now we're getting in more to the interpretation and the application. So how does this passage help us understand Jesus' mission? Jesus' mission has always been and always will be to, to offer forgiveness for sin. It was always and always has been about the cross. It has always been the power of the cross to change lives. It's always been that. How does this passage help us to understand our mission? Our mission is to go get those people that desperately need Jesus. Whether it's our friends or family, maybe it's our neighbor, maybe it's someone at work, someone at school, our job is to make sure they hear the good news of Christ. And that is what we do. Who is our Levi that we're going after that doesn't deserve forgiveness but needs it just the same? So how would you define forgiveness? We talked a little bit about that. Forgiveness has to do with uh, God looking at us and saying that we have that it is as if we had never sinned. He has uh, taken our sin. He has cleansed us from it. Did we sin? Yes, we did. But it do, and it doesn't belittle the sin. What it does is it says, "I am going to act as if you've never sinned." Uh, okay, how does this forgiveness of Jesus motivate us to be a forgiving people? Well, if we've been forgiven, then it's easy to forgive. Those who have been forgiven much are able to forgive much. So we also should be, and the opposite is just as true. If you have problems forgiving, maybe you've not been forgiven. Maybe somebody in your life connection group struggle with that. Number three, how can you imitate the friendship of Jesus? Well, you might need to go to somebody and you might need to tell them, hey, you know, I want, you, I want to be your real friend. How, maybe, uh, what about some, some of these things though? Um, Jesus was willing to be humiliated. Maybe we need to imitate him by being willing to be humiliated for other people. Not winning the approval of man, but to love and save man, right? And then how about the commitment? Here, here, here are these uh, Levi is so committed to his friends that he wants them to meet Jesus. And Jesus also was willing to commit to you. How about you being willing to commit to other friends that they might come to know Christ as Savior and Lord of their lives? Um, that's, that's what Pastor Tommy calls in the second part of verse 3, or it's question three, how can you imitate a gospel-centered friendship with that person this week? So, you know, start that friendship. Start the process. Number four, how does this passage help you understand what you really need in this life? Well, we really need forgiveness. And we need, a real, we really need to, for our sin to be dealt with, right? And that's what God does for us. So how does this passage encourage you to pursue Jesus this week? All right, what is, what is that thing that you're going to do? And that goes down to the measurable and doable thing. How does this passage encourage you to pursue Jesus this week? All right. So maybe you say, I need to pursue a, a, a non-believer. Maybe you say, I need to, uh, I need to recognize, that, uh, be amazed at all that Jesus has done. Maybe you would say, you know, I need to know, I need to demonstrate real love and I see a need that's out there. Maybe you'd say, I need forgiveness. There's going to be some in your Life Connection Group that might say that. All right. Uh, question number one, what do you think God is calling you to do in response to Luke 5, 17 to 32? And how will you pray this week? Well, there's lots that we can pray for as we use those application points to say, okay, Jesus, what do you need me to do? We want you to have a measurable and doable response to what you heard in the sermon last week and in Life Connection Group this week. All right, guys. Well, thank you so much for being a part. We look forward to what God's going to do in your Life Connection group this week. And we are looking forward to doing some on-the-job training that's going to be starting. We're, we're, kind of, we're going to up our game, and you're going to be a part of that. And we're excited about some possibilities with 
uh, and we're going to be, you're going to be hearing more about that later. So just be praying about that as we look how we can better uh, teach people the Word of God and help them really not just to be spoon-fed, but to really interpret the Word of God and begin to make it a part of their lives. All right? Well, let's pray, and we will see you on Sunday. Father, thank you so much that in Christ we have forgiveness. And that is what we really need. We need our sin to be dealt with. Lord, and because of that, we can go out to people like Levi that are in our world, and we can come to know them and introduce them to Jesus. And then we can have people like Levi introduce his friends to Jesus so that it just keeps on going. God, use us this week. May we be the people that you've called us to be. Use us for your glory. And Lord, if there's anybody in our classes that don't doesn't know you as Savior and Lord of their life, may today be the day that they surrender to him. Use us. Use your word. May your spirit speak. Touch hearts and touch lives and change us from the inside out. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you guys. See you Sunday. Thank you.